If you're able, let's sing a joyous noise for the Lord. Yes. He came to live, live a perfect life. He came to be a living word our life. He came to die, so we'd be to rise, to show his power and might. That's why we praise him, that's why we sing, that's why we offer him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship his king, because he gave his Show the lost ones his love He came to go Prepare a place for us That's why we praise him That's why we sing That's why we offer him our everything That's why we bow down and worship this king As he gave his everything As he gave his praise him and that's why we sing that's why we offer him our everything that's why we bow down and worship this king as he gave his everything as he gave his praise him and that's why we sing and that's why we offer him our everything that's why we bow down and worship this king as he gave his everything as he gave his everything see you guys know the routine you may be seated Good morning, Tucson Mountain. Good morning. Hey, listen, just a couple of announcements. You know, this paper and this ink is getting a lot more expensive. So we'd really appreciate it if you guys read these things. But not during service. All right? Either before or after, take them home. They're for you to take home. A um, couple of upcoming things. Right after service today and right after Sunday school, uh, the VBS folks are going to be having a meeting to pass out all the teachers' materials. So if you're a teacher or if you're involved in VBS, you need to stick around a few minutes for that. In room 108. <laughs> Another thing is uh, Thursday is typically the National Day of Prayer. Uh, Pastor Jay and I struggled to get people to come back on Thursday, so we started doing it Wednesday nights. 
Okay, so this Wednesday night, we will have prayer stations set up. You'll come in, and we'll be praying for the seven particular areas that we're going to be praying for. And we'd like you to come participate in that. If you've never been to something like that, we'd like you to come and see what it's all about. It only takes a little over an hour, and uh, if you'd like to come, we'd certainly appreciate that. And if you're a guest with us today or you haven't been with us in a while, please fill out a guest registration card and let us know that you're here. We'd like to get to know you a little bit better, and we'll send you back a card in response. Let's pray. Father, we just lift up this time to you. We pray, Lord, that as we spend time with one another in fellowship and worship you, that we would build our characters to draw closer to you. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that you would just work in their lives to draw them closer to you. Help them understand what it is that you want them to do and how important they are to you in your life and how important they are to us in our lives. Father, we love each and every person here, and we just pray, Lord, that you would help strengthen us and move us closer to you in our relationship with you and our relationship with one another. We commit the rest of this time to you, and we lift you up, and we want to worship you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So our scripture for today is Psalms 90, 14. Craig didn't leave me any, so I just picked one. <laughs> oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Amen? Amen. sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just his simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing blood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin itself to cease. Just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust Thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. 
And I know that Thou art with me, wilt be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. If you can see the theme in today's music, it's about God's sovereignty. So along with trust, we recognize the sovereignty over us as our king. So let's sing, You Are My King. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned, I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again, I'm forgiven, because you were forsaken, I'm accepted, you were condemned. joys to honor you in all I do I honor you I'm forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned I'm alive and well your spirit is within me King would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. King would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's, it's 
joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you in all I do. I honor you. Amen. It's hard to explain to somebody what it's like to live on the street if they never lived on the street. Most of the people out on the streets either have mental illness or they have an addiction. I just went over the edge. Ended up getting heavy into some drugs and I lost my job, I became homeless. I was constantly heat exhaustion, alcohol poisoning. Like I can literally say I was dying. Somehow my parents got a hold of Kay and that's what opened up the door for me to become sober. I met Yvonne and she was homeless on the street came to Friendship House and things begin to change in her life. Baptist Friendship House is a ministry center to folks that are impoverished, to folks that are unhoused, and to human trafficking survivors. We're able to provide them a meal. We're also able to meet those basic physical needs that, that others may have. It opens the door to minister to the spiritual needs so that a life-changing relationship can begin with Jesus Christ. We have a creative arts time, and usually that's pottery. They'll begin to open up and start sharing things during that time. When you sit there and you have the clay in your hand, you know what you're gonna be doing with it and what's gonna become of it. But the clay doesn't know what it's gonna have to go through to get to it. Sometimes our lives are broken, and we're like just a big old lump of clay, and so lives can be molded and shaped by Jesus to be able to accomplish His perfect will. I have never seen a life change like Yvonne's, and it's just been amazing to watch God work in her life and then see how He's using her now in our ministry. I never would have thought that I would be where I am today because I had no hope. This place saved my life. When you give to Annie Armstrong, you help to make my ministry possible. Jesus never gives up on you, and so we should never give up on anybody else. As I said, good morning. <clears throat> Listen, this is going to be the last official week we collect for Annie Armstrong, but we also have people that give all year long. So do realize that and make sure that uh, if you're going to give for this particular time frame, give today, okay, if at all possible, or at least get it in the office tomorrow. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit val about values. And what, what has become the synopsis of values is I've seen them taking place around the church. And this is just my viewpoint, but I believe these are strong values that we have here. And when a lot of times when I talk about these things and I say we, it's, it's something that I observed. When I say I, it's something that I believe. Okay? So I want to clarify that at the front end of this. But there's a lot of points you need to listen quickly. Some churches are driven by tradition. What does that mean? The phrase that we've always done it that way, or we've always done it this way. It drives their programs, it drives their processes, it drives the strategies of everything that happens in that particular church. Other churches are driven by finances. And what I mean by that is they're so neck deep in a mortgage that the question they have to ask at the end of each month is, are we able to make the payments on the building? 
And because of that, everything they do is driven by those finances, either the money that they have or they don't have. But what I believe is taking place over time, and thank God, and I mean that specifically, we are not in either one of those particular situations right now. Praise God for that. We do not have a mortgage. We do not, we're not bound by particular tradition. Now, some traditions are good. Some traditions are needed. But not all traditions are sacred. So as we think about this, I think we need to be a church based on godly values. And every single one of these values that I'm going to point out today are godly values. And I can back it up with scripture. Most of them I am going to back up with scripture. So what are some things we value here? Well, the very first thing I think we value is the application of scripture. The application of God's word to our life. Now, I believe God wants us to take his truth and put it into action. I think he wants to take his doctrine and turn it into deeds. And as I say this this morning, the scripture to back this up is very simply James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And I see that taking place in so many different places around this building and outside this building with the ministries that are working and taking place that it sometimes just overwhelms me. But, I, but it's great. It's a great type of overwhelming because things are happening. Things are taking place. You know, there's some churches you can go in and you can sit and soak and sour. Because what you do is you go in and you listen to God's word and it may be preached powerfully and, and, and in a great way. There's a lot of great doctrines and facts. And you take those things and you, you listen to them, but when you walk out the door, you do nothing with them or about them. Here's the thing. God's word was not meant just for knowledge. It wasn't just meant for us to know things. God's word, the Bible, was given to change our lives. God's word, Christianity, is an ongoing lifestyle change. And we must think about it that way, and we must apply it to our lives that way. I constantly remind myself each Sunday morning when I get up here, I need to give you a nugget that you can take out of here. And even though I give it to you on Sunday, you can use it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's what's life-changing. Listen, we only truly believe the part of the Bible that we really do. And that's sometimes hard for us to swallow. The second thing I think we value is service. You know, the highest calling and the highest title you can possibly have as a servant of the God Most High. The most Christ-like thing we can do is serve. We're individually gifted, equipped, and saved to serve. We're commanded to serve. We're authorized to serve. I've only had a few people in the last two and a half years say, you know what, I'm, I'm leaving the church because I'm not, give, I'm not being ministered to or I'm not being fed. And I hear that from other pastors around town that that happens from time to time. And it happened with Pastor Jay sometimes too because I said in some of those meetings. But the tough part is, I wonder in my mind, somebody get that. <laughs> I wonder in my mind 
if they're ever going to come to the point of spiritual maturity where they stop coming for the feeding trough and they start coming to serve under the cross. Because that's what we're called to do. Yes, we want to be fed. Yes, we want, we want the pertinent doctrine, the pertinent facts and information. But we also want to be able to put those into practice. I believe that's the mark of spiritual maturity. When you stop coming just to be fed and you start coming to put into practice what you're learning. Service means that we place our needs above the needs of the unchurch. Those individuals that need it, just like we saw in the film. Is that going to take us out of our comfort zone? You betcha. Listen, I believe the purpose of our staff is, is to take care of the ministers and ministries of the church. I believe the duty of the people is to serve the community as a whole and to draw those in closer to God and to be part of the kingdom of God. But that takes work. It's our place to serve others. Jesus said it this way, your attitude must be like my own. I did not come to be served, but to serve in Matthew 20. David served God's purpose in his own generation, Acts 13 says. The Bible also states, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but not to use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We're to serve each other first within the church, but then we're supposed to go outside these walls and serve the community and draw that community in. How does Scripture say they're going to know us? By our love, right? That's what's going to draw people to Christ. The third thing we need to do and what we value is excellence. We value excellence. We need to constantly be evaluating for excellence. Now, I do not believe we can have perfection. I do not believe we should evaluate for perfection because I don't want you to raise your hand, but if you think you're perfect, you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> All right? The problem is because we're not perfect, we should not expect anyone else to be perfect. We're flawed characters. We're flawed individuals. And we have to keep that in the back of our mind as we look at other people and we say, man, they're really broken. Well, yeah, you, so are you. You know? We strive for excellence, though, in everything we do. We strive for excellence in worship. We strive for excellence in the messages. We strive for excellence in the service that we do to our community and to one another. We're always striving for excellence, and we're always evaluating what's there to see what we can do better. Everything we do, we want to do better. Think about all these sports teams that play on Saturday and Sunday. What are the first things they do on Monday? They all get cups of coffee and pastries, and they go sit down and they watch the films. Why? Because they want to know what they did right, and they want to know what they did wrong. And they want to get better. That's what we should be doing. Galatians 6, 4 says, Each man should test his own action. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to others. Here's the key to this. Scripture says God's going to evaluate us one day. Isn't it better that we evaluate ourselves now and make sure we're living up as close as we can to his standards? Here's the problem. You, you do that by testing yourself. You do that. You don't do that 
by comparing yourself to others are comparing others to you. Look at what 1 Corinthians 3.13 says. The quality of each man's work will be seen when the day of Christ exposes it. One day, God's going to evaluate us. Isn't it better that we do it ourselves now? Every single person that comes here and professes to be a Christian should assume responsibility for making sure that they're doing whatever it takes to become better. The fourth thing is we value feedback. We value feedback. Listen, we, we put these guest registration cards in the back of the seats so that we can get to know those individuals that come. And then when I get one of these, when we get these, now not everybody that comes always fills these out, and I understand that. But when we get these and we know somebody is a guest, we send them a card, usually Monday or Tuesday morning. It goes out, and then we let them know. We thank them for coming. We tell them, hey, listen, if there's any questions you have or any concerns that you have, please contact the church office and, or, or mail me back or send a note, something. We want feedback because we want to know what we can do better. Or if they have a question. I want to know what we can improve on. I read every single one of them because they're important to me. Proverbs 12:15 says this. A fool thinks he needs no advice, but a wise man listens to others. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, Proverbs 13:16. I believe we can learn from anybody and everybody. Is it always what we want to know? Probably not. But isn't it better to know now so that we make course corrections as we move forward? Proverbs 27, 23. This is where it gets a little sticky, all right? Because I know some of you are very private individuals. I'm a very private individual to a particular point. But there's things in order to minister that we need to know sometimes. Look at Proverbs 27, 23. Be sure to know the condition of your flock. Give careful attention to your herds. Listen, there's some people that are hurting that we need to know why they're hurting. Maybe it's financial issues. Maybe it's a crisis emotionally in the family or the individual. Maybe it has something to do with relational issues or relational crises. We, we need to know as much as we can about some of those situations so that we can minister appropriately. We don't have to get in their business, but we can also find out what we need to know so that we can minister properly. Proverbs 13, 15 says, reliable communication permits progress. If we have reliable communication amongst all of us, it saves a lot of headaches. And it keeps us from being on the wrong side of the fence. The fifth thing we value is transparency. Now some of you are going, oh, I don't like this. We need to be the kind of people that what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. That makes us vulnerable. Our public image and our private image should be the same. We need to be who we say we are. Listen, if you go out of here, and I've said this before, if you go out of here and you have one of those little fishy symbols on your car, and you leave here and you squeal out of the parking lot doing 90 miles an hour, that is a poor witness for God. And that is a poor witness for this body of believers. 
So if you're going to do that, and your right foot is the last thing to get saved, take that little fishy emblem off your car. <laughs> At the very least, okay? This is not a situation where you can fake it till you make it. When you wear that mask, it only alienates people. What is the thing that we hear the most as Christians? Well, that's a bunch of hypocrites. Well, when you act that way and you do that way and you portray one thing and you act another way, that's being hypocritical. It's no wonder the world sees us that way. Listen, <laughs> I don't deserve to be saved, much less be in ministry. Neither do you. But you know what? God has done that for each and every one of us. He saved us. He's called us to do something. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He's called us all to serve in one capacity or another. That may be ministering to your immediate family and being the best dad or best mom you can possibly be for those kids that you've got. Or maybe it's called you to be the best grandparent you can possibly be. I don't know. But God has called us to serve him somewhere, some way, somehow. Listen, if you have a ministry that God has given you and you're in a position of leadership, you need to remember that. Leadership is always earned and maintained by trust. We sang about it. It's earned and maintained by trust. But you have to be authentic. Don't wear that mask. Be exactly who God wants you to be. Paul says it this way. Our lives in this world, and especially our relations with you, have been ruled by God, given frankness and sincerity. And he also says in 2 Corinthians 6, 11, we're hiding nothing from you, and our hearts are absolutely open to you. We should have that same kind of resolve with one another. The sixth thing is we value informality informality not formality we don't have a lot of pomp and circumstance around here all right we don't have a lot of barriers or protocols to ministry we intentionally strive to be more casual so that we can have more open communication in our services and in our relationships i think that's very very important we intentionally try to remove as many barriers as we possibly can to worship we're here to worship god we're not here to check out each other's cars or clothes or anything else. Among our staff or our, and our unpaid staff, there's no hierarchies. There's no pecking order, if you would. We try to eliminate as much of that as possible. We want a free flow of communication. Proverbs 14.30 says, A relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Informality allows creativity to flow. And we need to be creative. And we're going to talk about that more in just a second. We believe the more relaxed the communication is within this body of believers, the more things are going to get accomplished. The seventh thing we value is people's giftedness. People's giftedness. We build on strengths, not on weaknesses. We build on strengths so much that those weaknesses become irrelevant. Now, what do I mean by that? I believe that's a real key to success in life. And if you can do that with your own life, you can allow it in other people's lives. Listen, the task of any leader 
And ministry leaders, I want you to listen very carefully. If you're teaching a Bible study class or you're in leadership in any particular area, you need to listen real close. The task of any leader is to help and discover, help the people discover and help them develop their giftedness. Churches grow to the extent that they empower people to be what God meant them to be. And that's an ongoing task. That's an ongoing... It's not optional for a leader to do that. Part of leadership is to enable and be able to help others express the gifts they have in the church and through that church body. Listen, part of my job as shepherding, as I see it, is, is, is giving affirmation, attention, and appreciation to those individuals that are, that are doing the ministry. And it doesn't matter. This is probably going to get me in trouble. It doesn't matter if they're doing the job well or not. It's my job to help them understand what that position holds. What that ministry is doing. Here's the problem. I believe you treat people like you want them to become. If you treat them like winners, they're going to become winners. Does it take longer with others than some? Sure. But you know what? Every single one of us is in a different place with our walk with God today. And we learn by doing. Everybody is good at something, but not everybody is good at everything. Leadership is finding, freeing, and releasing and liberating those gifts that God has given individual people. Romans 12, 6 says, God has given each of you, each of us, the ability to do certain things well. That's why we need each other. 1 Peter 4, 10 says, each of us should use whatever spiritual gift he has received to serve others. You don't have a spiritual gift just for your own entertainment or just for your own consumption. You use it to serve others. Listen, programs do not build the church. I've had a couple of people come to me and say, well, we need to do this program, we need to do that program. That's all fine and good. But God builds the church and his people build the church, not the programs. You could be doing nothing but making peanut butter sandwiches and passing them out on the corner. That may be enough. God builds that church and the people. Number eight, we value people's differences. Now, this is, this is an interesting concept if you think about it. We don't just appreciate people and they're, they're, uh, we just don't accept people's differences. We appreciate their differences. Why? Isn't that the key to a successful marriage? Think about it for just a second. You don't just accept your husband or wife's differences. You celebrate those differences and you come to appreciate those differences and you come to understand and realize that God gave you that spouse with those differences for a reason. And it could either be to wind you up or it could be to tone you down. Because opposites attract, remember. Right? Romans 15, 7 says this, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. We believe more than that, though, God has shaped every single one of us for a particular function and a particular purpose, for a reason and for significance. Your life has significance. 
Listen, we can have unity without having uniformity. The last thing we should want to do is have everybody come in here and we, we send out the door a bunch of cookie-cutter stamped Christians that go out the door and they all act the same, talk the same, and think the same. There's differences that need to be celebrated. We can have those differences without division. 1 Corinthians 12, 5 and 6 says this. We can, there are all sorts of service to be done but always to the same Lord, working in all sorts of different ways in different people. We're not in competition with each other. We need to stop thinking that. We need to stop worrying about that. We need to complement one another. We need to make sure that we understand and respect each other's differences and preferences. On the essentials, we need to have unity. In the non-essentials, we need to practice liberty. And in all things, we need to practice charity. You know what charity is? It's grace. We need to practice grace and charity with one another. It's an important thing. The most important thing is that we love one another. The secret to being a great person is helping others find their greatness. The ninth thing is we value learning. We value learning. I believe learning should be the lifestyle of every leader. And I've told you before, I believe every single person here has the capability and ability to be a leader somewhere, somehow. The moment you start, stop learning, you stop leading. The moment, listen, growing churches and growing ministries have to have growing leaders. They have to have people that are constantly developing and constantly thinking and being creative in their mindset. Look at Proverbs 19.8 with me. It says, He who loves wisdom loves his own best interests and will be a success. Do you want to know how you really, do you want to really be a success? Then it says simply love wisdom. Put it into practice. I know people in their 70s and 80s that are doing much more learning than some folks in their 30s and 40s, and they are continuing to grow mentally, intellectually, spiritually, through wisdom. But you know what? You have to stay learning. I want to be able to keep learning till the day I die. Unfortunately, some people die mentally before they ever die physically. God has created this great, big, beautiful planet, this thing fantastic that we have to look at and see, and we should be learning about everything that's around us all the time and how to put our life into practice of service to God. Ecclesiastes 10 says, If the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. How do you get skill? You understand what it takes to get it done. The moment you stop learning, you start dying. Ten, we value simplicity. Now, before you start throwing rocks and rotten tomatoes, simplicity in the message, simplicity in the organization, simplicity in the buildings and the strategies we use, in the office procedure, simplicity in everything. 
Why do we make it so complex? Our motto should be this, strive for simplicity and simplify for success. Look at Ecclesiastes with me. God has made us plain and simple, but we made ourselves very complicated. That's from the Good News Bible. The simplest organization is actually the easiest to maintain. It doesn't have to be complicated. Think about baby toys. Baby toys are just little pieces of molded plastic. You can take them and throw them around. They won't break. But as we get older, our toys get more complicated. How many of you got a smartphone in your pocket? Yeah. They're a little more expensive. They break a little easier. They cost you more money. Are they more problematic? We come into this age of robotronics. I come up with a different word. They're way more complicated, which makes our life way more complicated. They're supposed to make it easier, but they don't. Listen, I believe in the KISS method. There's an extra S in there. It's keep it simple, short, and sweet. I had to take a line or two out of my uh, message this morning because I had in there I do that with my messages, but sometimes I get rather long, so I can't say it's short. We need to dream big, but we need to have basic, keep it basic and simple as possible. I try to use very basic and simple language. Why? Because a basic and simple message drives the point home better. Simple does not mean shallow. Jesus was probably the simplest teacher that we ever met, that we ever read. Think about it. Some of the most profound things in life are some of the simplest things. I could throw a bunch of Greek and Hebrew words out, and some of you would go, wow, that's deep. No, I don't think it's deep. I think it's just making it really muddy. Some speakers seem to be in some kind of ego trip to help them make the stuff sound technically more sound. But Einstein once said this, you don't completely understand something unless you can explain it in a simple way. Listen, you may have all kind of knowledge, you may have great wisdom, but if you can't explain it to somebody else in a way they can understand it, that wisdom and that knowledge doesn't do you much good. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, when I came to you, it was not with any show of oratory or philosophy, but simply to tell you what God had guaranteed. God has guaranteed us salvation, cleansing, and heaven. In 2 Corinthians, he said, I'm afraid that Satan is steering you away from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, the Christian life really is fairly simple, if you think about it. Jesus summed it up in two little sentences. In Matthew 22, he says, love God with all your heart. And then the second part is love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty simple. Hard to do, but it's pretty simple. We make it complicated. That's why I believe so much in the application of the Bible, application of Scripture and God's Word. Eleven, we value teamwork. If you study the ministry of Jesus Christ, he sent people out basically in two-by-twos, in pairs. I think he knew the value of teamwork. True success is never a one-man or one-woman show. The Bible says over and over again, we are a body. We belong to each other. We're members 
together in Christ's body. My ideas may be good. Your ideas may be good. But if we put those ideas together, they can be great. Cooperation always gets better results. Look at what 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says. All of you together are part of one body of Christ, and each of you is separate and necessary part of it. Circle, highlight, or underline that word necessary. No one is not necessary. Everyone who is a part of this Tucson Mountain Baptist Church family is necessary. We're like a giant jigsaw puzzle. I told you this a few weeks ago. If a piece is missing out of a jigsaw puzzle, what's the first thing you notice? It's not the picture of the puzzle. It's the piece that's missing. We cannot be complete when people are missing. We need to build each other up. We want to share ideas. We want to share the responsibility. Uh-oh, that was something I shouldn't have said, huh? Some of you don't want to share the responsibility. But we need to because you're an important part of it. The sum whole is much more effective than the individual parts alone. I by myself cannot make the impact on this community that God wants to make. You by yourself individually cannot make that impact. But together, together we can make that impact. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this, two are better off than one because together they can work more effectively. That's the synergy that takes place when people that come together with different skills, different abilities, different talents, different gifts, different life experiences, and put all those things together and work together to make it happen. Romans 12.5 says, In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You think about that. The twelfth thing is we value innovation. Remember the seven words we first started out with that I said? We've never done it that way. Our motto when we hear that should be, why not? I think we ought to ask that question. Listen, we've probably done a whole lot more things here that didn't work than did work. I am not personally offended or afraid of failure. I hope you're not either. But here's the thing. <laughs> Failure's not, failure is not really reaching a goal. Failure is not even trying in the first place. That's failure. You are most like God. Think about this for a second. When you're being creative. Because he is the creator and he made you in his image. All the world knows that everything is moving at a faster pace. Do you realize since the 1990s that all the pundits, all the experts tell us that things have quadrupled almost every year in the speed of changes that are taking place in the world? I just put that in for a minute, let it roll around. Quadrupled almost every year. That's a lot of changes since the 90s. That means people are looking for a place of stability. They want a center of stability. Why can't we as a church be that center of stability for this community? Why can't we offer them that? 
But in order to do that, we have to stay innovative. We have to stay looking forward. What worked today won't necessarily work tomorrow. Listen, if what we're doing today works, but we're using the same methodology to reach out to the community in 2030, seven years from now, is that necessarily going to work? If the world changes quadruple every year, it's probably not going to work. So we need to be innovative in our thinking and our creativity. There's no growth without change, and there's no change without some pain. God is much more concerned about where we're going than where we come from. Many of us would really rather forget where we come from anyway, right? God says that uh, that's all in the past. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 with me. Or do you not know what, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then in the next verse, he says this, and that is what some of you were, past tense. And he goes on to say, but you were now washed by the blood of Christ. You were sanctified, you were set apart, and you were justified, just if I'd never sinned. Listen, Christ cleanses us so well by his blood that we are set apart just if we never sinned so that we're presented pure and white to God. I don't measure up to my own standards, much less God's. You guys probably don't either. We all fall short. But you know what? <laughs> that doesn't matter because that's where we were. That's not who we are now. Do you want to prove your intelligence? Look at what it says with me in Proverbs 18. The intelligent man is always open to new ideas. In fact, he looks for them. Be looking for new ideas. That's the mark of intelligence. Saying that we don't do things the same old way is a good thing, not a bad thing. Why? Because Matthew 9.17 says, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Why do we not do some of the things that we do before? Because new wine has to be put in new wineskins. Or else they'll swell and bust. We need to always be growing, developing, and stretching what we're doing. Thirteen, and we're, we're headed towards a home stretch. We value freedom and flexibility. In order to cope with all these rapid changes that are taking place, we need to be fast, fluid, and flexible. We can't sit on the laurels of past events or past things that have taken place. We have to be looking forward. You remember when those, Paul is talking about the runners that run the race? You ever watched a relay race? That guy doesn't turn around and look for the baton. He sticks his hand out and he keeps running because he's looking where he's going to go. Because if he doesn't watch where he's going to go, he's going to trip on his own feet like I recently did. <coughs> I was looking forward, but I was looking at something else. 
You know what? God says we have to be looking forward. We value that freedom and flexibility. I don't believe in too much long-term planning, and I'm going to explain that in a second. Why? Because it doesn't usually last for the long haul. How many of you three years ago had prepared for the pandemic and prepared for all the aftermath with the civil unrest, the social unrest, the distancing, all the, all the stuff that has taken place since then, the mass shootings, the civil unrest with all the people, the irritation and the anger and frustration of just wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, the isolation, all the things that came out of that, all the changes that we, how many of you are prepared for that? Yeah, that's the problem. How do you plan for things like that? In our world, the one thing that is constant and absolute is change. The most really important things in life are often unplanned. And that's the heartbreak of it. Because we value freedom and flexibility, we do not burden most of our ministries with a lot of undue policies and procedures. We don't say you have to jump through all these hoops before you can do anything. What does the scripture say? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is more policies? Nope. More procedures? Nope. Freedom. Freedom. We may make our plans, but God has the last word. When I said I don't believe in long-range planning, let me clarify that just a little bit. It doesn't mean I don't believe in planning. I do believe in planning because God's word says we need to plan. But here's the problem. I think when we write those plans out, we ought to write them down in pencil and not carve them in stone. Because the problem is God may change that plan in the midst of it all. We have to be flexible. We have to be willing to change according to God's plan. 14, we need to value humor. And we do value humor around here. Maturity is the ability to laugh at yourself. Look down the road to your right, look down the road to your left, tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> Go look in the mirror. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? We need to remember. Here's, here's the problem. I think so many people take themselves too seriously, but they don't take God seriously enough. We have to remember something. God is God, and I am not. You know, how you, know, you know how you know if you're humble or not? And I put it in grammatically correct text for you guys on your outline. The thinner skinned you are, the more humble you're not. Listen, there's so much bad news in the world today. Why should we expect or think that people ought to come into the church and hear more depressing news? That, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't go around preaching doom and gloom. He came out and he preached hope and salvation and help and heaven. He gave them something to look forward to. Not what was in the past, but something to look forward to. Did he have to tell a few, hey, you need to tune up your life a little bit? Sure. But his focus was on the future. 
The last thing people want to do when they come to church is hear more doom and gloom. Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, mount up with the wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Listen, God, humor is a seasoning on our life. It lightens the load. God graciously gives us his humor as part of his plan. I believe he intends for us to enjoy life. He intends for us to enjoy the ministries that we work within. Listen, Proverbs 17, 22 said, Being cheerful keeps you healthy. God richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment, 1 Timothy 6, 17 says. Because we're going to spend eternity together in heaven, don't you think we ought to put some of this into practice now? Listen, if you're in a ministry, I want you to hear me, and I want to clarify this very simply. If you're in a ministry and you're struggling in that ministry, then get out. Because if you're not happy doing what you're doing, then maybe that's not the ministry that you're shaped to do. Maybe that's not the ministry you're called to do. If it's a struggle and you have to have all this external motivation to come in and do a ministry, then let me know and we'll find you something else to do. Or if you need to take a break, take a break. But just let us know. Don't not show up one day and say, oh, I'm done. The very fact that you don't enjoy it is probably a sign that it's not the ministry for you. Fifteen, we value optimism. Hear me very carefully here. Optimism is another word for faith. It's believing that God not only can do it, but he is doing it, and he's going to continue doing it. Remember what William Carey said? Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Do you realize, I want you to look around the room just a little bit, and, and most of you are more optimistic because pessimists usually don't stick around here too long. True. I had a couple of pessimists, and one of them was one of the ones that said, I'm leaving because I'm not getting fed. All they wanted to do was talk about doom and gloom and all the things that were going wrong in the world. And I said, I can't do that. I won't do that. It's heartbreaking enough for me to sit here and listen to you. How much do you think these people want to listen to me? I can't do that. So he left. Listen, you can't, you can't always browbeat people with the beast and the problems in the world and all these things. You can, you can, you can, you can put it out in a different perspective. And we need to do that because the world needs hope. The world needs help. The world needs to see a future that for them can be bright. Now, for those that refuse to believe, yeah, there's going to be some problems, no doubt. But what we're here to preach and what we're here to teach is God has forgiven you of those sins. God has moved you past that. The good news is not that you're a sinner. The good news is that Christ died on the cross and when he cried out for you and said, it is finished, that meant that I'm saved. That meant that you're saved. You have the opportunity to do that. You have the opportunity forgiven and washed and cleansed. Listen, we have more reason. I believe Christians have more reason for hope 
than any other group in the world. So if we have that much hope and we have that much passion about that, then why don't we share it more? Tough question, huh? Jesus didn't go around preaching doom and gloom all the time. A, you realize a pessimistic Christian is actually a slam against God? Think about this for a second. Because a pessimistic Christian is saying, you know what? I see all these troubles and I don't think God's going to take care of it. I don't think God can handle it. But God says, I will in my own time, in my own way. I believe in being optimistic. Matthew 19, 26 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? All things are possible with God. According to your faith, it will be done to you. We need to be an optimistic church. We value growth. What shall a man exchange for his soul? Mark 8, 37. What's a soul worth today? You ever thought about that recently? It was worth enough for Jesus Christ to go on the cross and die for somebody. To die for you, to die for me, to die for those that we haven't even met yet. If Jesus died for them, don't you think we should do our part of the job and start telling other people more about it? God wants his church to grow not only spiritually, but numerically. Colossians 2.19 says, Under Christ's control, the whole body is nourished and held together and grows as God wants it to grow. Listen, a church that doesn't want to grow is out of the will of God. People need the Lord. The situation demands it, and God commands it. You know, one of my tasks is to fight entropy in ministry. Uh, I, entropy is, I'm probably not pronouncing it exactly right, but it's the second law of thermodynamics. I had to do a little research on this. It's, it's, the, it's the process of saying that things over time will slow down and move to deteriorate at the lowest possible rate. Now, with that thought in mind, with deterioration, think about your bodies for a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get Oh. Our task is to constantly fight that type of deterioration in our church, in our ministries, in our lives, in our minds, in our spiritual life, in our physical life. We have to fight the push for things to make us stand still and start to deteriorate. We want to fight that. We need to believe in growth. We need not only numerical growth, but spiritual growth, personal growth, physical growth, financial growth, all those things. The very last thing is we value commitment. We value commitment. Listen, I can't stand up here each week and, and I will not and I cannot make an apology for, for trying to encourage you guys or to challenge you to follow Scripture and follow the commandments. I can't do that. I can't, I can't apologize for trying to tell you, you know what, 
You need to get in an area of service. You need to get in a Bible study. You need to have a daily quiet time. You need to read your Bibles more often. You need to give 10% of your income so that we can keep the lights on. You know, there, there's all this stuff is there for a reason. God tells us these things to shape us and mold us and mend us and bend us to what he wants us to be. Here's the thing. We become what we are most committed to. If you're in a marriage and you say, you know what, I, I got to be the right husband or I got to be the right wife for my spouse, then you're committed to that and you're going to become that. The world is constantly asking us for our time, energy, and effort and money. So if you don't do it and give it in one place that they ask, you're probably going to lose it somewhere else. The person who deserves the most commitment we can possibly give is Jesus. He deserves everything we've got because he's actually given us everything we've got. There's nothing more significant in the world that we can do today than help build the kingdom of God. Nothing. The Bible says in Proverbs 29:18, without a vision the people perish. And we've been concentrating on this overall for the last four or five weeks. Listen, I believe we should call forth our highest dreams, our highest visions, our highest hopes, but we need to do it in a simple way. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, First they gave themselves to the Lord, and then by God's will they gave themselves to us as well. The question this morning I want to leave you with is, what are you committed to today? What are you going to be committed to tomorrow? Mark 8.36 What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Listen, nothing matters more than what we're doing here as far as building the kingdom of God. To be a part of a church body that's going to be one day called out and saying, you know what, what did you do with Jesus that we gave you? And it's going to be an awesome thought if you think about it. When you get to heaven, someone comes up to you in a couple of hundred years and says this, I want to thank you. I'm here because you were one of those fanatics. You were one of those people that gave of your time, energy, effort, and money to see that folks like me had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. You know, it mattered to you, and you reached out to me. And because of that, I'm here in heaven today with you. What's that going to look and feel like for us? Let's pray. Father, help us realize that being a part of this body is a privilege and that we shouldn't take it for granted. You know that each one of us has a particular place and you brought us together from different backgrounds and different lifestyles. But through teamwork, as we work together, we could accomplish those things that none of us can do by ourselves. Help us realize that every single one of us have something to contribute. 
Help us realize you've given us particular gifts and talents and abilities and all those different personalities for a reason, for a purpose. We all want to have a part in this body, Lord. Help us not to be judgmental of each other, but to accept others and to value those differences and tell, celebrate those differences. Help us understand we're building a team, an army, if you would, that's going to make an impact on this Tucson Mountain community. Lord, we know you're the rock and you're the solid ground we can stand on. You are what gives us the stability. You are what gives us the values and the strength. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us make our lives count, make an impact and a difference in this world today and tomorrow and the world to come. We simply ask these things, Lord. And Father, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord and, 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 and they've been thinking about that, they've been thinking about making that decision, something that was said here, a song that was sung, words that were speak, spoken, maybe something has encouraged them to understand that they really need to accept you as Savior. We want to give them the opportunity to do that this morning. And Father, if there's anyone here that, that has made that decision, and, but they've never been baptized the way you were baptized, through immersion, then we offer that opportunity also, Lord. And there may be others that are visiting, maybe they're guests for the first time or the third time, and they've been just looking for a church home. They've been looking for somewhere they can call their place to worship and to minister and to serve. Father, we offer that opportunity this morning also. Father, whatever is in men and women's hearts, boys and girls' hearts this morning, I pray that you'd let them open up to you and allow you to work in their lives to continue drawing them closer to you. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for all the gifts and abilities and talents that you give us. And we pray that you would show us where we can use those to serve you in the best way possible. And we simply ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can and would stand, please.
Please be seated for just a second. We have a couple of quick announcements we'd like to make. Um, I'm going to allow Tim to come up here for just a second and make an announcement. I don't know how many of you have heard about this new increase, and we're not getting into politics in any form or fashion, but this Proposition 412 that is on the ballot in the city of Tucson. Um, it's a 25-year agreement to sign again with TEP for our electric uh, issues and our needs. And uh, Tim, where you at? Come here, just a second. Um, while he's on his way up here, it's it's a 25-year agreement that they're signing. Now, right now, because we live in the county, unless you live in the city, you can't vote. This is an agreement between the city of Tucson and Tucson Electric Power but they're going to be raising our rates, what they call a franchise fee, and they're going to be um, ad adding an additional 0.75% fee, what they call a resilience fee. And I'm gonna let Tim explain what that means a little bit. But we want you to be aware of this because if it hits the city, then it's eventually gonna hit us out here in the county. So I did a little research on this. Tim brought me the information and asked me if he could just ask uh, and take a few minutes to explain it to you, and we're not going political, right? No. Okay. And just let you know um, what those potential fees could cost us each year if this goes through. And I believe what he's going to ask is is basically for us, if you're concerned about this, or if, you'd, if you'd like to know more about it, to do your research and to um, let them know that you don't, <laughs> you don't want this because they're already applying for uh, an increase, TEP is, but this is gonna add more fees and more stuff on top of what they're asking the Corporation Commission for. <laughs> so you guys need to just hear about this for a second. Two minutes, okay? Because I got another one right after you. Sorry? I got another one after you, so two okay. minutes. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Um, proposition 412, it's kind of a two-prong issue here. The first is, they are proposing a 12% increase in our electric bills. How many of you live outside of the city? Probably most of you. And how many of you are TEP customers as well? So this will directly affect you, and that's uh, one part of the problem is the 12% fee, plus, as Lynn said, they want to uh, increase the uh, franchise fee from 
2.25%, which we're already paying up to 3%. Now, in all fairness uh, to TEP uh, and to us, there is a corporation commission. There will be two other entities. One is a consumer advocacy group. I don't know what the other one is, but they will all get together up in Phoenix, and this is upcoming, where they will decide what the actual increase will be, so we can guarantee that. Uh, another part of the issue that I personally have a major issue with is that you and I that are affected by this will not be given an opportunity to vote on it. We're being disenfranchised, and this is like major, uh, a major problem. I go down to the Board of Supervisors generally every two weeks and raise a little havoc with them because they need to hear it. Um, it does get very political sometimes. Uh, so in any case, I have a little sheet of paper here. I don't have many of them. Maybe Beth can burn off a few more copies. Um, this is kind of a call to action. Um, to email, to call City Council, the Arizona Corporation Commission. All the information you need is on this piece of paper. It won't take you a lot of time. This is just about us, our, our hip pockets, and our inability to have a voice in this, and this is what we need to have right now. Does anybody have any just general questions? Um, one more thing I want to add. Part of this fee is going to go towards what are, is being called a 15-minute city. Has anyone ever heard of that? Okay, I know Lucy has because I talk with her. A 15-minute city essentially is... Uh, what it, wherever you are located, you should be able to get all to all of your medical, dental, uh, grocery shopping, clothes shopping, just whatever services you use within a 15-minute radius of your location. They want to uh, redo all of the infrastructure in Tucson to bury uh, power lines, cable lines, other uh, services, which we all know is going to take a considerable period of time. And... Uh, I'm sure there's a lot more, but 15-minute cities, if you go outside that 15-minute radius, then uh, you'll be tagged, you will be fined, and it's all about power and control. We're about this close to socialism right now in this country. We all need to stand up and do something. So I will put these at the back. Um, it won't take a lot of effort on your part. Uh, I will be down at the city council meeting on May 9th. I hope I see some of your charming faces down there and we can uh, let them know we are absolutely against this. The big problem being we're not being given an opportunity to have a voice in this. Okay, thank you, Len. All right, so if you need more information about that, do see Tim. He has a lot of information about it. Um, but it is, it is, we are sort of being left out of the loop, not being able to have any kind of voice or say so. And um, the fact that it's gonna raise the rates I think some of the info I read, uh, generally, Tim is going to raise it about $180 a year for, for our electric and stuff. Yeah, so, you know, you might, you might just want to get with Tim and let him talk to you afterwards and find out more about it. And if we need to make more copies of those sheets, we can. And then, come on. She'd like to have a word with you guys real quick. Well, first, I'm Brandy Keppel, in case you don't know me, because I've come and gone through here all my life. And John and I moved back here about three and a half years ago, and I was half dead. 
uh, with heart failure and cancer and you guys have been praying for us this whole time and as I've, I think I've told some, most of you already, my cancer's gone, and I saw my uh, cardiologist, and after years of prayer, I, she told me that I don't have heart failure now. So I went from having a heart working at 13% to lower range of normal with probability of still improving. So we're just very thankful for your prayers, and all that God's done to let us, let me see Alice grow up and um, stay here with John and everything. So thank you for your prayers. It has meant a lot to us. You need to be praying for John and Brandy. My understanding is you're leaving when? June 29th. June 29th. Uh, he's getting restationed to another base, uh, Virginia. So be praying for John and Brandy and little Alice as they leave us and get ready to go. But also be continuing praying for Brandy for her health and all those health concerns because that is some major, major health issues. Pray for those that you know that are in the hospital. Um, we know Leonard's um, dad is in there, Larry uh, and, and any update on that real quick, Leonard? Same. Okay. All right. We'll pray for those that you know that are in the hospital or those that need help. And uh, I understand Sarah Bergeron. Uh, some of you may know her. Some of you may not. Or Shauna, I'm sorry, Shauna. Um, yeah, Sarah's a daughter. Um, but she has been sent home from to, for hospice. It doesn't look like she has much longer. Um, she's had so many medical issues, so be praying for her also. All right. And uh, listen, I want to thank you guys for coming and tolerating me this morning. I got a little long-winded, but, you know, that's the way it works sometimes. Guys, take us home. All right, just like any family, you know, we have good times and bad times. We have good news and bad news. If you read through the Psalms, you know, you'll see a lot more of those Psalms sound awfully negative, like things we probably would feel uncomfortable singing in service because they're cries for help, cries of anger against God, asking why. But at the end of those is praise, not because everything is good, but in spite of the bad things, because God is good. So if you're able, please stand, and let's sing, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. So glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift.
lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My debt to pay from the cross to the grave. From the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on Oh, I fly away to a home. 